For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Hell. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, good friend of ours for a long time. Uh, finally get to actually see what he looks like because I've never actually talked to him in person. One of the reasons I do this show, very important topic, though, uh, Dr. Ryan Townley. He's a clinician. Uh, he is an expert in Alzheimer's disease research. He's participated in research trials. He educates medical students. He answers my questions on direct messaging when I have really bad questions that need some expert opinion and guidance. Uh, you've written for us at Ordinary Times a couple different times. We're going to link to all your pieces you've written there uh you're actually doing a conference right now you never stop working on this stuff do you my friend <laughs> yeah thank you andrew so uh yeah it's first time uh, meeting and talking with you so that's good yeah i'm in the middle of the it's called the uh alzheimer's association international uh conference so we, there are five thousand uh live neuroscientists from around the world that are studying alzheimer's disease uh, and then five thousand joining uh, by by video. So yeah, we're in the middle. Uh, this is the last day, though. So I got to imagine that they're probably talking about the same thing everybody else is talking about. Maybe they're not. You tell us. Um, there's been a lot of news headlines about Alzheimer's. There's been a lot of talk about misconduct. There's been talk about falsified data. Let, let's just cut right to this. This is a disease and a topic that scares people. It scares me. It takes a lot to scare me. This scares me. I've talked to you about this privately. I already have cognitive issues. This stuff scares people. When they see headlines that the research ain't good, or they see headlines that, because we always want to think of drug trials as positive things, right? This freaks people out. Um, you've got a lot of experience in this. Turn down the noise for us. How big a problem is this? What is a problem? What isn't a problem? What would you tell the general public right now? Yeah, no, no, I think uh, it's it's very important to address that we haven't, ha there, there are so many sessions going on at once uh, in this conference. Um, there in the plenary sessions, kind of where everybody meets, it's been addressed. But uh, obviously, anything we say today and uh, and at the meeting, you know, there, there is still that uh, innocent until proven guilty, right? But, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to talk about what has been, what are these allegations and how they sort of, um, you know, encompass the, the rest of the research uh, world. So I would first point your audience, there's a really good website called alzforum.org. You can link that down too. Um, so, you know, what are experts in the field that research Alzheimer's disease saying? Uh, there's, there's nice backgrounds of kind of what we'll be talking about today. And, you know, I think it's important too to sort of tease out uh, both of these stories independently. So I think the one that's been getting more press uh, is the one that, that from the science article uh, that we kind of talked about before we hopped on. But I'll, I'll first say, you know, there, there's another story under here that was actually being investigated first 
before they started to uncover this other story. So, um, you know, I, I think we can talk about both of those if if you're interested. Yeah, start with the underlying because, you know, one of our key things on our program, we always talk about things don't happen in a vacuum, they happen in a sequence. So I think it's kind of important to show here that some of your folks, researchers like you, you kind of already had your antenna up on some of these issues anyway. You probably didn't know hey, it was this bad or is going to be this much of a breaking news headline that it broke into general media. But you kind of had an inkling that there was some stuff not quite right for quite some time, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, actually, the the one I'll start with, uh, just because it, it was a study I was following, I actually, you know, had a patient go into this study. Um, it, it's one from uh, Costava Sciences. So that's a pharmaceutical company that um, has only been around for a couple of years, but they were publishing some really good phase two trial, which is where we start to see, hey, maybe this drug is working, but it's in like a small population. And uh, the there were there were scientists that were raising red flags. They sort of said this data doesn't look quite right. Um, and uh, the FDA didn't put a halt on it. They moved forward with the phase three trial, which is kind of like our bigger trials. They were trying to enroll up to 1,750 people and uh, had about 120 enrolled so far. But basically, uh, some of those allegations are similar to this other story. There was concerns of data manipulation and fraud. And uh, it basically has led to multiple papers being retracted by journals from the lead scientists of this study. And just last week, so the, the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice opened a criminal investigation on, on the, um, the study going forward. So um, it's actually interesting background because the person that was hired to investigate this group, at, he started to dig a little bit further, right, uh, being, a, uh, being a good um, investigator. And he started to find some other uh, flagged papers, uh, some concerns from other scientists uh, um, and so the, then the second story, the one that was published last or I guess two weeks ago now in, in science, um, that's the one where we talk about uh, Dr. Uh, Sylvan uh, Lesney from the University of Minnesota. So I think that's the one that probably most of your listeners have heard of. Is that right? Yeah. And then this got into and I'm going to blow these pronunciations, but it started talking about the amyloid protein stuff. This turns out that it's a toxic protein. It's directly causing memory loss, which is, of course, the part of Alzheimer's that's so devastating for everybody on top of the other effects of it. So that's kind of the one that started getting mainstream attention because that kind of hits right to it's what we opened with. This scares people. That goes mm -hmm. right to the heart of the fear. So get us to the science of it before we get into the fear part of it and what this actually means with this doctor at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. So it was about 2006 when this um, this very large paper uh, was published in Nature, so a very prestigious journal. It's been one of the top four cited uh, articles over the last 20 years. Um, I will say, so as somebody that is a clinician researcher, right, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of this, this science is in mouse research, right? So I'll get in trouble from our, uh, our basic scientists that work on this, but we have treated mouse timers a hundred times over, right? And it hasn't always translated to humans. So there's always skepticism with some of the mouse research, but there are big breakthroughs that still happen from, from animal models. And this was thought to be one of those. So uh, this there's a, there's a specific kind of like fragment of that amyloid protein you mentioned called A-beta star 56. And that's essentially the toxic protein that was being sort of uh, 
charged with as you know this this researcher was charging as as a as a culprit for memory loss uh, as direct memory loss, which was pretty new in the field. There was lots that have been working on amyloid toxicity, even these smaller fragments being toxic. Um, but this was one there was like you know there was catchy news articles that was like a beta star is born question mark, um, and so so you know it, it was it was a pretty big deal you know we but there was I I would say um, you know that that these things uh you know th there are there are different tributaries of these research right there was multiple other researchers working in this uh field that were finding other toxic amyloid proteins so it wasn't like this star if you will was the only one um but it, it was obviously getting the biggest uh biggest press at the time and so you know this this uh researcher uh what has been sort of the, the allegations here are that this individual was manipulating the images in a, or what we call figures in the research articles. So we won't go into the details of what exactly their, their Western blots is essentially what they were, but it was like he was basically manipulating the uh, the figure to make it look like this protein was being found. Um, and and so like no one else within the lab and and anyone else that has worked with him has been implicated, but he was the one that was making the figures at the end right and uh um and and it they found so this this uh investigator found that 20 of his articles over the last um i guess 15 plus years have been flagged by other researchers and uh they actually had independent um you know forensic image consultants uh also consult and they all they all confirmed these concerns that these images have been um doctored or, or altered if you will now, anytime uh, Dr. Ron Townley joining us, uh, people love their true crime shows. So you zoom in and then you get in the evidence and you start looking at the lab and you start looking at you can kind of lose perspective. So zoom us back out for just a second because you get all these headlines like 15 years of Alzheimer's research is all worthless, that kind of stuff. Take Give us the 10,000 foot view like you like to call it. How much of a problem is this? I know it's one researcher, but there is a lot of cross streams in research. Everybody's cross research and everybody's challenging. People that aren't used to the academic lingo, they don't know how those sort of things work. Give us kind of the big picture view, though, the grand scheme of things on this disease research and the ecosystem of trying to find a cure for this, which is what everybody wants. Where are we at and how big of a problem did this turn out to be? Yeah, no, I know. I think you're exactly right. And I, I do think that um, there are some sort of uh, overblown um, connections here in the science article. So, and I, th I think that has raised maybe a little bit more alarm than it should. So uh, as far as dialing down that noise, as you like to say, right? Um, you know, this, the idea that this has wasted, I think they mentioned like over $5 billion of, of research dollars into this idea, um, this, this clearing amyloid idea, uh, you know, that certainly seems to be overloaded. Uh, you know, with that 10,000 foot view, though, it, this these alleged acts, right, by any scientist, but particularly one that is heavily involved in the Alzheimer's field, uh, th that's incredibly damaging to the overall scientific credibility, right? Uh, as you said, nothing happens in a vacuum. This, we're, the current environment that we're in is there's anti-vaccine groups, there's anti-climate change, there's anti-evolution groups. There's a lot of um, scientific skepticism, right, uh, within the world, particularly uh, as you look at some of the populism rising. And any misconduct such as this, a, a big misconduct here, um, you know, they're going to look to sink their teeth into that. And they're going to look to to drive a wedge, right, um, with, with any sort of, 
you know, disinformation is much easier when you've got clear examples to point to. It's almost like what we call bulletin board material, right, in the sports world. So um, in that larger scale sense, right, this is a really big deal. It's incredibly disappointing. It's troubling. Um, you know, we've also got the, so just in May, uh, uh, Dr. Lesne uh, got a big R01 grant from the NIH. So it's, it's over $800,000. And so that's through the National Institutes of Aging. We're all pain for that, right? Um, so, uh, you know, and it's, it's kind of like his career, at least what launched this big uh, grant for him, right, is, is supported on a breadcrumbs of, of falsified data. So that's, that's, that's where I sort of see the, the major issue. And I think many of us involved in this Alzheimer's research see it more of as a credibility to science in general, rather, rather than harming, um, you know, the specific, you know, mouse models or these, these Alzheimer's uh, models. So, you know, I think science does a pretty good job, at least compared to to most, as far as uh, sort of um, weeding out these bad actors. So he's currently under investigation by the university, the NIH, by all the journals that have been flagged with these uh, articles. But obviously, that's not a you know that's going to take some time. Um, and and you know, I think his credibility, at least for now, from what we know in the scientific community, is probably going to be gone. Right. So. We rely on, you know, our, our publications are the way scientists communicate with each other, right? And he's not um, able to uh, to publish things. Uh, that's going to make it a lot harder to to make a living in this in this field. So, you know, we do try to have mechanisms to weed out. Uh, you know, there's we're we're dealing with humans, right? So there's going to be bad actors in any uh, field. But I wouldn't. I guess that's the that's the main issue to me is we we can't all be lumped in with one individual, right? So. Um, the, the Alzheimer's disease research world as a whole, uh, you know, is, is very strong, but we have this one uh, weak link, right? Yeah. And then, and, yeah, go ahead. And and let's be adults here. The timing on this couldn't be any worse because we just spent two years arguing over COVID. And we learned even when they're trying really, really hard, the academic wing of science does not talk to the general public very well. The medical wing of science does not talk to the general public very well. The media doesn't do very good intermediating between either one of those parties. Even when you're trying hard, misinformation is just going to happen because, let's just be honest, research science speaks a different language than the general public. Research science speaks a different language than practicing medicine. It's two totally different things in a lot of ways. So even when you're really trying this stuff's hard, What's the remedy here? Is it going to be a criminal investigation? Is it going to be academically where they kind of tighten down how they do these trials? What do you think the fix in the near term is going to be here? Yeah, I think I think one of the the fallouts here, you know, any, you know, basically any article that gets published has figures or, or images, right, as part of it. So I think, uh, you know, it may be where there's going to be more of a surveillance system, right, of, of when, when articles are published that they have some of these data imaging uh, experts, you know, look for manipulation. I think that would be a reasonable step. But um, I think, you know, when we, uh, when we think about, um, you know, the, the research as a whole, especially when we think about Alzheimer's disease research, right? Uh, you know, there's, there's multiple people that are, that have tried to replicate this data, right? So, so that, that's why, I, you know, not myself in particular, but many that have been studying this amyloid toxicity, especially small fragments, uh, they've been kind of skeptical of, of that 2006 publication from the beginning because no one has been able to replicate it. And, and I think that's one of the big things that's, that's important in science is being able to replicate things. And, and I will say that 
you don't get much prestige for replicating uh, um, data, right, or, or studies. So I think there does need to be a larger push for um, you know journals to be accepting these types of things. Not everything has to be shiny and new and novel, right? I think that's part of our culture in, in general, and that leads into the science world too. That you know, it, even these studies that did show, hey, we couldn't replicate it, they didn't get published, right? So um, those those sort of negative rebuttals to to sort of a large uh, um, you know paper like this uh, that that needs to be something that changes as far as uh, uh, in the science world, right? Yeah, Dr. Ryan Talley joining us. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. This isn't the first time we've talked to him. He's wrote about in Ordinary Times. We'll get a little bit of an update. The Biogen drug, a little bit of a controversy yeah, about a year and a half ago before all this. Get into that. And also some actual facts that folks need to know about this disease. Even with all the stuff we know now, there's still a lot of misperceptions about it. Folks are worried about it. Look, I'm one of them. I get scared talking about this stuff. Knowledge is a good remedy for fear. This is the guy to do it for us. Dr. Ron Talley is going to continue to join us on Hertel right after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Hertel. Dr. Ron Townley joining us. Good friend of ours, a uh, good writer. He's written a few pieces for us over at Ordinary-Times.com. We're going to link to them. Going to update one of those pieces now. A while back, you were writing about um, the Biogen drug. Let's go back because you were talking about the percentage of Alzheimer's cases that deal with this amyloid. Due to the nomenclature for me on amyloid, what it is, what it means, and how that got into the news cycle before this current crisis. Again, one of those things where you're saying, like, we know there's some problems in some of the research. Here's another case of it. But start with the nomenclature and then walk us up to it with the amyloids and what that means for this disease. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think uh, kind of looking back at the the larger scale view, uh, amyloid is a protein that it's actually highly uh, conserved in evolution. So it goes back, you know, basically to, to the beginning. Um, and so it's got an obvious role in the brain. Uh, so it's not something that we that we uh, or it's something that we need in there. But um, the the idea, at least, uh, um, that amyloid is involved in this disease is is a long history. So uh, we've known for about 120 years uh, that that there are these plaques found in the brain of of patients that have uh, this Alzheimer's disease and. Um, so even if you look back into the 1900s, when when we were first looking at these things under the microscope, right? Uh, these uh, these proteins were were there, and then but we didn't really know exactly what was in the protein until all the way until 1984. So that's when we found that these plaques, these tangles of uh, uh, of uh, of this protein, it was it was the amyloid protein. So it's only been you know that amount of time about. Uh, we're getting near 40 years, uh, right, of, of knowing that. Um, these plaques, just to, to give your uh, audience some background, 
we we assume uh, some things here, but we can find them in the cell initially. So they're clumping up within the cell. And if you think of the cell trying to send things everywhere, communicate with uh, other cells, right? Um, when you get sort of like a traffic jam in there, right, with these plaques building up, then it's going to cause the cell to not work as efficiently, has to work harder, uses more energy. And um, as you sort of accumulate more and more of these, the cell can die, right? And then these plaques also form outside the cells. That's where we usually detect them in the brain. Um, but these cases, uh, all Alzheimer's disease cases have these plaques, right? So it's actually part of the definition of Alzheimer's disease is you have to have these plaques. Um, and, and so it really was in sort of the late 80s and 90s after this protein was found that we started to find some genes in, in sort of familial cases of Alzheimer's. So this is one of those things where if you have the gene, you're going to get the disease, right? Uh, those cases are actually quite rare. So it's only about one to 2% of Alzheimer's disease. Um, but, and, and these are the cases that we call familial Alzheimer's. They usually affect people in their 40s and 50s. Um, and, and there's usually sort of that pattern of like dad's side or mom's side clearly has this uh, early onset pattern. Um, and so the, all three of the proteins that we have found to be a, you know, a cause of familial Alzheimer's involve this amyloid protein. Um, so that was sort of found in the in that timeline. And then we've also got, uh, you know, in, in Down syndrome, we, we find one of those genes, there's like three copies of it. It's called the APP gene, which is amyloid precursor protein. So it basically is the thing that helps make the amyloid uh, and helps sort of uh, um, process it within the cells. And so, you know, what we've learned, especially as, as uh, care for patients with Down syndrome has improved over the last few decades, they're living longer and longer. And what we're finding is that many of them will have amyloid plaques in the brain by age 30 to 40. And if they live to 50, 60, the majority of them will get Alzheimer's disease. So all kind of those lines of evidence pointing towards amyloid at least being part of this process. Yeah, my mother was a special education teacher and specialized in Down syndrome children. So I'm really familiar with Down syndrome. And one of the things you ask her that she's proud of when she started teaching in the late 60s, when she retired in the early mid 2000s, the age of um, the life expectancy for Down syndrome went from 30 to 60. It's, it's almost one for one now with a normal person that does not have Down syndrome. That's how far we've advanced. I find it fascinating. Science almost has a sense of humor sometimes that what we know is a developmental illness might solve one of our great end of life illnesses. Right. OK, I'm not great at math, though, but you said that's one or two percent. That leaves ninety eight percent. So that's everybody else. All right. Scientist, doctor, we probably ought to deal with the ninety eight percent. What does it have to do with the ninety eight percent? What do we do with the vast the vast majority of people? Then? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think. Uh, that's honestly been a little bit of a divide in the field. So there are researchers that uh, that really do focus on these autosomal, autosomal dominant cases because we know if you have the gene, you're going to get the disease if you live long enough, right? So so there are you know great studies going on like uh, so WashU in St. Louis, uh, Washington University in St. Louis. They have they're they're doing sort of a, a joint project with many other institutions where. They, they're literally following patients that have this gene and they're tracking biomarkers of amyloid and, and we haven't talked about the protein tau, um, but they're doing all these scans and things and they're seeing changes in the brain, you know, 15 to 20 years before patients get symptoms, right? And uh, and so, but, but the folks that are studying this more of the 98%, right? 
they're finding those exact same changes, right? So we're seeing amyloid protein change 15 to 20 years before symptoms. And so there does seem to be this uh, Venn diagram overlap, right? Um, but obviously we, don't, we, we haven't found a cause for those other 98%. So we typically call them sporadic. Uh, you know, we, we know that if they, they have this amyloid in the brain, they're at higher risk of developing, you know, dementia it, um, over a certain time frame. But uh, um, it, it sort of gets down to uh, what is the driver here of these cases, right? And there's, we, we do think that there's multiple things that lead into this, right? Age is probably the biggest risk factor, right? So we're, we're living longer and longer as a population and, uh, and therefore we're getting more cases of this disease. Um, we are finding, so one important thing for your audience, we're finding many modifiable risk factors, right? So um, there was a good Lancet article in 2020 that sort of looked at what are the big, uh, the big risk factors for developing dementia associated with Alzheimer's disease. And they, they, they uh, suggested about 40%, right, uh, of the risk is attributable to these risk factors. So um, th then what's the other 60% of that? Well, there is this genetic uh, risk factor allele called APOE4. So some in your audience may have seen this from a, you know, they might have gotten a, a 23andMe study, they might have gotten a um, heritage, uh, you know, genetic study. Um, this APOE4 allele is highly present in our population. So it kind of depends on which population you study, but on average, about 25% of the population has this gene. It's not like the other three genes we talked about, where if you have it, you're going to get the disease, but it is uh, a risk factor. So, um, you know, we, we find that um, having one gene, so you get a copy from mom, one from dad. If you have one, so maybe it's from mom or dad, uh, it increases your lifetime risk by about three times of, of developing Alzheimer's disease. Um, and then if you have two copies of so mom and dad both gave you a copy, then it increases your risk by 11 to 15 times. So that's exponentially higher. Um, but we're, we're seeing this APOE4 link with amyloid too. It's not clearing the protein out like it should. So again, at least one more sort of uh, line of evidence that amyloid is at least involved in the process, right? Yeah. Okay, a few minutes we have left. There's so much to this. We definitely need to get you back. Probably going to have to do a series of these if you're willing to do them so we can work through all this material. But the money question you always get, I'm sure you get it texted to you. Everybody you meet, as soon as they find out what you do for a living, probably ask you this. This is the question that's always on everybody's mind with this disease, though. Where are we at trying to get, we're probably not that close to a cure, but at least some kind of a treatment, because unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot they can do with this illness right now. You already hinted at some of the lifestyle stuff we're starting to look into as factors. Treatments, cures, drugs, where are we at? Do we have hope on the horizon? Just give some people some good data because they don't ever want to get took in with miracle drugs because there's not one of those coming for something like this. But there is some positive stuff. Yeah. 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 I think. um I think there, there's a couple of positive things that, that we can finish with. So um, I think one is we're getting better and better about detecting this earlier, right? So as a memory um, clinic specialist, when I'm seeing patients, it's often 
after something is very obvious, right? In that sort of stage of severity that we call dementia, when it's starting to actually interfere with day-to-day -day life. And so we're getting biomarkers on the horizon. There's lots of data. So, so I saw many presentations this, uh, this past week on blood biomarkers, right? So this is the, the you know, you don't need to do a $14,000 scan or, or, you know, check spinal fluid, right? You can detect these protein changes in the blood. Um, the main things that are preventing this from happening tomorrow is uh, is we just got to kind of work out the kinks of patients that have kidney disease, sort of a more diverse population than our research population validating these things, right? So uh, so I think detection, right, is going to be one big thing because we need to catch this earlier and earlier so then we can test our theories of different drug trials and things before uh, there's been, you know, brain cells that have been... Uh, uh, lost worldwide, or you know, throughout the throughout the brain. So, I think that's one thing. I think the uh, you know we've seen a large amount of funding increase in Alzheimer's disease here in the last really 15 years. So, if you look even back to uh, you know about um, 2010, only about 400 million uh, of our of our uh, budget was was allocated to Alzheimer's disease uh, research and that has exponentially grown. So we're now, it was announced uh, in May that it's going to be 3.5 billion this year, right? So we're getting a lot more push and funding uh, for research, which, um, you know, 3.5 billion sounds like a lot, right? But that's, this disease costs our healthcare system 321 billion per year, right? So that's a drop in the bucket to what this actually costs, let alone the, the stress, right, that happens for families and caregivers uh, of this disease. So, um, I think part of this, our acceleration of knowledge is being driven by, uh, you know, this large push for funding. And we've got lots more people in the field uh, pouring our energy into research. Th there's this really interesting sort of parallel to cardiovascular disease, right? So um, when you look back at this sort of trend line, um, in the 1960s and 70s, we didn't know exactly what caused heart disease, but we started to find these risk factors similar to what we're finding now in Alzheimer's. And a lot of advancements in technology and treatments um, have have seen from 1968 to kind of the last five years that the drop in mortality from a heart attack is about 70%, right? Uh, and it still accounts for one in five deaths, um, but it's a it's a massive uh, uh, in achievement. And we're kind of seeing this parallel. Where are we at in Alzheimer's world, right? We're we're a about in the 1960s and 70s, right? So, so there's there we're starting to actually see a slight decline in the uh, incidence of Alzheimer's. So I should explain that briefly because um, you're going to say uh, we, there's a lot more people getting it, right? And and so that's really the prevalence, right? So the the idea that um, because we're living longer, we've got a lot more folks getting Alzheimer's disease. But if you look at like somebody that lives to age 90 now versus in the 1980s, versus the 1960s, versus the 1940s. Obviously, there's less of them in those decades, but those folks were at higher rates of, of getting dementia, actually. So I think we're seeing some decline in Here's what I found. The, the people that are, you know, getting dementia in their 80s uh, because of a lot of these cardiovascular risk factors that we're, we're pushing, right? So um, it, it kind of, to finish, what are, what are some of those things your audience can be working on, right? So these lifestyle things, a lot of them are cardiovascular. What's good for the heart is good for the brain is what we always say, right? And so, you know, when you think of what are those risk factors, high blood pressure. Uh, high blood pressure in midlife has 
uh, increased incidence of dementia later on. So detecting, treating high blood pressure, detecting, treating high cholesterol, diabetes, sleep apnea. These are all big vascular risk factors, which also damage the brain. Um, and then when we look at sort of these other modifiable ones, so I just mentioned sleep apnea, but just quantity of sleep is important too. You know, about seven to eight hours is recommended. Um, educational attainment, you know, we talk about the brain almost like a use it or lose it type of thing, right? So um, lifelong learning is important. If you've got a, you, you, we've all seen this, right? If somebody retires and they got all these hobbies they want to do, they've got traveling they want to do, they're, they're incorporating all these novel things in their life. That's a much different retire, retirement than somebody that kind of starts passively thinking in TV, right? And so using your brain, staying active is important. Physical exercise is by far the most important thing you can be doing for your brain. So we recommend about, the, the National Institutes of Aging recommends about 150 minutes a week. And uh, that's like moderate, at least moderate exercise, getting a sweat going, right? These are all, those are all important for the brain too. And then lastly, there's diet. Uh, um, I think there's a lot of interesting research on this. We, we recommend the Mediterranean diet right now that has the best evidence. Uh, but certainly things that are low in carbs and sugar seems to be uh, better for the brain. And there's even some really interesting research going into ketones in the ketogenic diet that uh, that I, I, I'm excited about. So a lot of things that we're looking forward to, right? And I, th I think that we can certainly reduce the risk by modifying these things even earlier on. Yeah, Dr. Ryan Townley, this has been fantastic. We'll do it again real soon. We'll have you back. Till we get you back on the program, though, we're going to link to a lot of stuff from this conversation. Please read this stuff yourself. Good links you can stick on social media when people are losing their minds or sending out bad links. We're going to give you some good stuff to add on there instead. Let folks know where they can follow you, your social media. Uh, you're doing good work in this field. You also do great work on your Blackstone Grill as a Twitter Supper Club member in good standing. Uh, let folks know where they can follow you until they see it again on Hotel. Yeah, so I think the only platform I'm really active in is is on Twitter, and uh, I it's uh, at Dr. T from KC, uh, so you can find me on there. And then we actually, you can find, we can link some uh, of our YouTube. I give actually a lot of talks to primary care providers on some of the, some of these diseases, and um, so those, those are on our YouTube links as well. Yeah, we'll link to all that stuff. Good doctor, good work, great stuff, good information. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for squeezing us in among meetings, sir. All right. Thank you. It's good, it's good to meet you, Andrew. Good to see you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.